0: Man, Go ahead and be seated. Thanks. So I've been uh, working on being more concise in my life. I don't know if anyone is going to say amen to that. I think Joanna would. But um, I tend to talk in circles. I think I think as I speak, the way I process things is kind of to speak them. And so my mind is not always like caught up with my words. And so I tend to not be super concise. So I'm trying to work on that. So hopefully you'll see that reflected even today. But probably not because I'm still working on it. But I want to be concise. And I want to communicate and mean the words that I mean. I want to say what I mean. I want to be to the point. And I want to be direct and speak words full of meaning. What I'm realizing is that God is really good at being concise. In his message to the world, he has communicated very clearly his heart, his love, and his message to the world. And he has done it in one word, I would argue. We're going to look at the gospel, the good news over the next few weeks, right? We've already looked at the gospel, the good news, in the context of the big story—the big story of Scripture, the big story of the world—that we were created to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with one another, to be in relationship with creation, and that was all broken with the introduction of sin, selfishness, uh, self-centeredness. We are relationship with God broken, a relationship with one another broken, hostility enters the world, our relationship. To creation, broken, rather than uh, nourishing the earth, we abuse it. And so our relations are broken. And then we talked about how God, right in the moment of the darkest moment of human history, spoke a word of hope, right? He said there is one to come that will mend this, that will heal the earth, that will heal the relationships between God and humanity, between humanity and humanity, between humanity and creation. There is one to come. And he begins to go on the move to bring redemption and healing to the world. And he starts to move through the people of Israel, through a man named Abraham and for the people that come from him. But they they fail to reflect his glory, right? They fail to live as people of God. And so Jesus comes along and he succeeds where everyone else before him had failed. Where the nation of Israel had failed, he succeeds. Where humanity had failed, Jesus succeeds And he's faithful, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he does not stay in the tomb. He takes sin and death and oppression and disease and racism and all the things that we suffer under, and he takes it into the grave with him, and he comes up out of the grave, promising new life, new creation, healing, and the power for his people to live a new life, as a new humanity, to live in the way of Jesus, to live in the power and authority of Jesus. And so he's about redemption. And then he's about full, complete restoration, which we look forward to, right? We look forward to the restoration of all things, all things being made new, all things, all wrong things being made right, the curse of sin and death being reversed, finally and completely. So we looked at the good news in this big story. That's That's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is the big story that gives meaning to all of our stories. And we find the most meaning in life when we enter into that story and become a part of that story as someone who has been rescued and redeemed and renewed by Jesus himself, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we were going to talk about the gospel in one word, which we're going to talk about this week, but this last week was a tough week, right? We talked about racism and we talked about the, how the gospel is good news even in the midst of prejudice and discrimination and racism because it reimagines, it reimagines race. It reimagines our relationships. It reimagines our tension that we experience between one another, right? And that, that, that the end in mind that God has in mind for the world is that every tribe, tongue, and nation would worship together with distinction, right? That there would be distinction maintained. Diversity is there. So there's worship of Jesus with distinction, without disparity, right? We're all together with one voice in many different languages, one heart in many different cultures, one will with many different expressions of worship to God, Worshipping God, we see that in Revelation 7. And so the gospel heals the racial divides. It is good news for our world in a very real way that we're desperate for. Today, the gospel in one word. See, I said I was going to be concise. I'm just starting. The gospel in one word. God is concise in his message to the world. And he, the, we can learn it in one word. Next week we'll learn it in three, and then we'll get, in, get it in 30, 30 words. But today, one one word can anyone guess that word i would like actually to be curious let me hear yes. jesus is that vote number one sounds like a squirrel sounds like jesus what is it called have you ever heard that joke i'm not going to tell you because i'm being concise all right let's read this together What's the gospel in one word? What's the good news? Remember, the gospel is the word that we have for good news. In the beginning, this is from John 1. This is the gospel of John, the good news of John. John was an early follower of Jesus. He walked with Jesus, and here's what he wrote In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. See, here, John's kind of building up anticipation. He's using, kind of speaking in code here. He says, the word was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. All things were made by him and through him. Nothing was made apart from him that has been made that we've seen. In him was life. Who is this? This word, verse 14 The Word became flesh. This is my favorite verse, I would say, in all Scripture and defines the way that I live my life. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Another translation says, He moved into the neighborhood. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, John the Baptist. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we're still talking about the word, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. So we get grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through, uh, here, here we go, Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. This is important. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, He has made Him known. That's a radical statement, a revolutionary statement, a statement that changes the world this word who made everything through which the world was made. He was with God. He was God. He came. He took on flesh. And he dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the vulnerability of the world. And this is the one of whom John testified. This is the one of whom all the scriptures, the Old Testament, we talked about it, speaks toward and and prophesies of and says, there's one to come who will heal the world of all the wrongs and of all the sin. And of all the brokenness, there is one to come. And this one, this Word, is Jesus Christ. And this, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Look, no one has ever seen God. No one knows what He's like. But the one and only Son, this Jesus Christ, this Word, who Himself is God, He has made Him known. The the word there is where where we get exegesis or laying open. He lays open God. He exegetes God. He makes Him known. He explains God to us. So I have good news in one word. The good news in one word is Jesus. The gospel in one word is Jesus. We don't need to look any further than that. Jesus comes with a message from God, he, also, he comes as the messenger of God. And in Jesus, this is what is unique about him, unlike any other prophet or religious teacher, he comes not only with a message, he not only comes as the messenger, he comes as both the message and the messenger. The messenger is the message. Jesus is the Word. You ever hear someone say, hey, what's the Word? On Randall, right? Tell me, what's the word on Randall? What am I asking for? I'm asking, what's the update? What's, the, what's, what's going on with Randall? And I say, well, the word on Randall is that he's awesome, that he's a caring guy, that he's a servant, or whatever. That he's got cool glasses today. I like it. The word. Here's the word on God. Jesus. Do you want to know the word on God? Do you want to know what God looks like? look at Jesus. This is super good news. Let me tell you this. Because I what we're saying here, what scripture is saying here is that God looks like acts like Jesus. The God who every who we and all intuitively know exists, the God to whom we feel responsible, the God whom is this mystery that we don't know anything about, right? This God that we just, some people call him or it or her, right? The, the, this um, impersonal force. Some would call him or yeah the higher power, right? Some would call God the universe, right? We, we just send good thoughts to the universe. But we all intuitively know that there's something bigger than us out there that is, that is out there. And what this is saying is all that mystery has been consolidated and communicated in the life of one person and that is the word that is Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what God is like, he look he's like Jesus. And this is super good news because there's tons of interpretations of God out there, right? That lead, have led humanity everywhere Within Christianity, within Islam, within where all the major world religions, right? We all have this perspective on God. And we all take God and we make him in our own image. But what this is saying is that God looks like Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about the world, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about People who are suffering and who are hurting and who are sick, look at Jesus, right? If you want to know what God thinks about arrogant, proud people and how he responds to them, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about nuking North Korea or, or, or racism and uh, discrimination and white supremacy, you're going to look at Jesus, that's how we know God. Now, believe it or not, like I never thought this way. I grew up as a Christian, which means Christ follower. I grew up in the church. And I just never really thought about God this way. Like Jesus saved me from my sin. Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is coming back for me. But I never thought of him as the interpretive key to who God is. Like if I want to know what God thinks about the world and what He thinks about me and you and people. Like, I should look at Jesus. If I want to read Scripture, and this this is where we get it, if I want to understand Scripture appropriately and I want to read Scripture, I should read Scripture through the lens of Jesus, actually. See, we read the Bible... To get to know it's like it's um someone said, the Bible isn't necessarily a painting to stare at and to look at and to study. It's not an end unto itself. The Bible is actually a window through which we look to learn about Jesus. And so we actually then flip that around and read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. So when we go to the Old Testament and we see wipes out like billions of you know millions of people and tell there's a slaughter well that's confusing right where do we go for that like what is that saying about god well this is what i know i know that no one has seen god no one has understood god no one knows what god is like until jesus comes on the scene he has made him known the fullest revelation of god is Jesus the Word on God is Jesus, and so if I want to understand some difficult things in Scripture, some things like I mean, there's. I'm, I'm, let's be real. There's in the New Testament even there's like slavery, right? Now we can define it and do gymnastics around it and say, "Hey, well, that wasn't that way." But how are we going to understand the cultural implications and the cultural baggage that and, and cut through what the Bible means unless we look through the lens of Jesus, thank you. All right, I like it. Yeah, someone's getting it. The gospel in one word, the good news in one word is Jesus. And it's really good news, seriously. It is so good to know that God looks like Jesus. It changes everything. Not only because God can be known, and God can be understood. Now, not completely. Like, this is way, we're like a little Dixie cup, right? We're like this communion cup dipping into the ocean, right? And this is the capacity of our brains, okay? This is as much as, this is like if we could use all of our brains and like fill it up with all that we could understand and know about God. And the ocean is everything there is to be known about God. Like, dipping this into the ocean is like the mo- you know, we can't get it. But God, Jesus is what we need to know, all right? Jesus is what we need to know. We need to look to Jesus to understand God. Am I being concise? Not really. But I'm being repetitive, which is cool. All right. So Jesus is God's messenger and God's message. I, um, let's see, where do I want to go from here? This means, all right, we just talked about scripture. This means the good news is found in the life of Jesus, okay? That the gospel, the good news, if we want to know God, if we want to know uh, God's desire and hope for the world, if we want to know how he responds to sin and sinners and to injustice and to systems, if we want to know how he responds to the poor and the needy and the proud and the arrogant, then we need to look at the story of Jesus. Now, in Mark 1, I don't have this on the screen, um, but in Mark 1, 1, it says something interesting. Mark is another gospel, another account of the good news. And when we say good news, here's the interesting thing. So we call, in the, in the New Testament, there are four books. There's more books than that in the New Testament. But four of these books are called Gospels, which is uh, the Greek, comes from the Greek word, which means good news, a good news announcement. The Gospel, in each of these cases, is the life and the events and the works and the words of Jesus. So from the very beginning, the good news was understood to be about the life, the work, the teaching, the words, the actions of Jesus. And Mark 1.1 says this, to start his good news, which is Jesus, he says, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so then we go to Mark, I want to go to Mark 14. So what we need to understand is that the good news is not only the small sliver of Jesus' life that includes his death and his resurrection, but it is his whole life and his whole teaching and his all, every interaction that he has. And so let me just show you what that looks like. In, in Mark 14, I believe it is, there's a story here. I wish it could. It's not in my notes for some reason which is disappointing to me because I'm trying to be concise, which causes me to not be concise. There it is. Okay, oh, John. No. Darn. Oh, Mark. Okay, sorry. Mark 14.9. Go with your instincts, Jesse. Do it. Mark 14.9. This is in the midst of a story when um, Jesus is with his twelve and he's reclining and he's eating at the table, all right? This is the wrong passage. Sorry, all right, there's a story. Sorry, I wrote it down wrong. There's a story in the Gospels, in the book Gospel of Mark, where a prostitute comes in to where Jesus is eating, all right? Now, first of all, men and women would be separated, all right? And so this is scandalous that she even comes in. Second of all, she's a prostitute. So in addition to being a woman in this culture, which would be despised and, and not esteemed at all, she is a prostitute, which is someone who is used and abused and, and just seen as dirt, regardless of the reasons why she may be that way. She comes in and she starts to wash Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. And she breaks this really expensive bottle of perfume which would have been used in her trade, okay? So this is a highly sexually charged scene. And so this is scandalous for Jesus, right? He's in with his religious leaders. He's, in, he's at this table, and this prostitute comes in, breaks this jar of perfume that would have been used in her trade, and starts to wash his feet. And all the rumors and the whispers would have been flying around. And they say to Jesus, don't you know who is washing your feet, don't you know who this is? This this piece of do you know who she is? And he says, Yeah, I know who she is. And she's welcome. She's welcome. And then he goes on to say, and I'll send it in an email, the passage. He goes on to say that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the story of this woman will be shared. So he totally elevates her and says, Look, not only is she welcome, but wherever the good news about my life is proclaimed, which now, 2,000 years ago, here, later, I am proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and I'm sharing this story with you. The story of this woman will be told. Isn't that beautiful? So the good news includes, I, say, I tell you all that, because the good news includes the life of Jesus. It includes the interactions that Jesus had with people. Because It is good news because when we look at Jesus, we see God. And we begin to see what he looks like and how he responds. And so do we want to know what Jesus thinks about the women that we see on the streets in Central and Zuni? Do we want to know how God would interact with them? Would it be with mercy would it be with, or would it be with condemnation? Would it be with welcome or would it be with harsh, cruel, condemning words? Well, if I want to know how God's going to respond, then I can look at that story. I can look at the good news, and the good news is he would welcome her. Don't you want to know a God like that? Don't you want to be in a relationship with a God that looks like Jesus? I mean, I do. And I want you to. I, I want you. I want all of us to know the God who looks like Jesus. And I want our neighbors to know the God who looks like Jesus because they're desperate for a God who looks like Jesus and who will respond to them like Jesus. They're desperate for that. I want to know a God. And just a couple stories here. I won't, I'm not going to go long, but I'm throwing out. I'll try to be concise next week. The, I want to know and love and serve and walk with and follow a God that looks like Jesus when he's brought a woman. It's in, it's in John, the Gospel of John. He's brought a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. We know this story. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's a well-known story. He's, she is brought in the very act of adultery. Don't use your imagination too much. But she's brought in the very act of adultery and thrown at Jesus' feet. Now, I don't think they gave her time to get dressed. I don't think they gave her time to clean up. I think they grabbed her, drew, drug her out, and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, this woman... Has been caught in the very act of adultery, and the law requires that she be put to death. What do you say, Jesus? And he does this amazing thing, and I love it. It's one of my favorite scriptures. He kneels down in on the dirt, right? And he starts drawing in the sand. And scholars talk about, try to guess well, what's he drawing? Maybe it's their sins, you know, all the people around him in condemnation. Maybe he's just drawing birds, who knows. But he's drawing on the sand. And what he does in that very act, which I think is beautiful, is that all the murderous rage and condemnation and judgment is centered on this woman, right? She's thrown and all the men come in. And they have stones in their hands ready to kill her, the scripture says. And all this murderous rage is directed at this woman and what happens, do you think, when Jesus like, starts kneeling down and coloring in the sand? Where does all that judgment, condemnation, attention, and rage, sh- to whom does it shift? It shifts away from that woman. Like, what the heck are you doing, Jesus? I was just asking you a question. You're drawing in the sand. And so I think that's just a beautiful kind of picture of, of God drawing away the attention from this woman who is just so vulnerable and so wounded. And she comes, he draws it on himself, and they look at her him and he says, he stops drawing and he looks up and he says, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. So that's what I have to say about it. Any of you who is without sin, you throw the first stone to kill her. And one by one, you can just hear pop, pop, pop. They drop the stones, they hit the ground, the dust flies up and they walk away. Dead silence except for the gravel under their feet as they walk. And everyone leaves, and it's just Jesus and this woman. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, Is no one left to condemn you? And she says, No, no one. He says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now there's still an acknowledgment of, of something is not right here. But he says, Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. I want to worship and to serve and to know a God who looks like Jesus in that scenario and in that woman's life. I want to serve and worship and know a God who looks like Jesus when this leper comes to him, right? Several times in Scripture lepers in, in scripture they would just be this there's it's still leprosy all around the world in india there's still leper colonies and this is just a general term for skin diseases these horrible skin diseases if you ever want to just gross yourself out google leprosy images and it'll just it's intense really intense really painful looking stuff it disfigures you it, it knobs you, you just get you lose limbs because you lose feeling in your hands and you run into the stove and you run into the fire or whatever and you don't feel it and so you have horrible sores on your hands and your feet and your face and it starts to decay. Your your flesh is just rotted. And so you would become, in, in Jesus' day, you would become religiously impure un, and you could not worship, you could not socialize if you came into contact with a leper. So they would have to call when they were Feet and feet and feet away. I don't know how. I don't remember how many feet. Let's say 30 feet. Don't quote me on that. And they would say, Unclean, unclean. And they would cover themselves up saying, Stay away. Keep your distance. I'm unclean. I've got leprosy. Possibly contagious. So I want to worship and serve and love and walk with a, G- a God that looks like a Jesus who when that leper comes to him and says, You can make me clean. He actually takes a step towards toward him not away and touches and this is crazy touches the leper touches the disease defiles himself socially and religiously and possibly even putting himself at risk physically and touches the leper he could just say snap his fingers and say hey go you're healed nobody touches him he has compassion on him that's the kind of god that i want to love serve and worship and that's the kind of God I want us to know and love and worship and serve. And that's the kind of God that our neighborhood needs and our city needs and our nation needs. It's a God who invites us to follow Jesus and to look like Jesus. And who gives us the power and ability to do it. So the good news in one word is the word, Jesus. The word on God is Jesus. He has made him known. And that's good news. That is good news. So my question for you is, do you know him? Are you following him? If you want to know more about God, you got to look at Jesus. If you want to live more like God, you've got to... Look at Jesus. So do you know him? Are you investigating him? Are you reading the good news of his life? And then the second question is, are you sharing it? If you have, if you're following him, are you sharing the good news? Are you introducing people to this God who looks like Jesus, a Jesus-looking God, who's creating a Jesus-looking people? That will impact the world in a Jesus kind of way. A guy named Greg Boyd said that. I didn't say it because that was concise. Are you looking at Are you looking at Jesus? Are you sharing Jesus? Are you looking to be more like Jesus so that the world can be impacted by Jesus? This is what we need. This is what our neighbors need. This is what our nation needs. This is what the world needs. It's to know a God that looks like Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So my invitation to you is to look to Jesus, to understand God, to look to Jesus, to know God, to look to Jesus, to follow God. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are the good news. Jesus, you've made yourself known and you've made yourself known through Jesus. I just pray that you would give us faith, eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to believe, wills to obey and respond. As we eat together, God, may we um, eat together as people who follow Jesus, that all would be welcome, that we would submit to one another in love, that we forgive one another in grace as forgiven people, that we would share our lives with one another, and that these tables would always be open to any who would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to eat together now. And uh, we call it Passing the Peace. I'll show you. There's a liturgical tradition called Passing of the Peace. Um, and Glenn can tell you, since we're Protestants, we'll do whatever we want. whenever. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, if you don't know Glenn, meet him.